Let's stand together. The book of Mark chapter number 5. We're going to read uh, verse 21. Going to be a little reading down to verse number 43. And then I'll share just a thought or two here this evening. When Jesus was passed over again by ship, the other side much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh to the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. When he saw him, he fell at his feet. He sought him greatly, saying, My little daughter, life at the point of death, I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her. She may be healed, and she shall live. Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had issue of blood twelve years, suffered many things. Many physicians had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. She said, if I may touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? Disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and Sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman feared and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. He said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Behold, thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, said to the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. He suffered no man to follow him but save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the turmoil and them that wept and wailed greatly. When he was come in, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn. When he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother and the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. He took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which has been interpreted damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Straightway the damsel arose and, and, and walked, uh, for she was of the age of 12 years. They were astonished with a great astonishment. He charged them straightly that no man should know it, commanded that something should be given her to eat. It's a lot of scriptures to read, but I don't see how you can divide the two stories because really they all become one. And I begin to preach and pray and, and study to preach on this tonight and this thought to come to me, and I want you to think about this, the attitude towards Christ, the attitude towards Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love and your mercy. I thank you for allowing us to be here this evening. Pray for each and every one that's in this service. We ask God that you'd be with Pastor Zach as he's preaching to the kids across the parking lot. I ask Lord that you would bless both services. Help us tonight to see ourselves. Help us to see what we need to through these stories in the Word of God. Help us tonight, we pray. Fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. I just have a couple of thoughts that goes, I believe, with the 
scriptures that we have just read. As I was studying this today, I find in verse number 21 of our text, the Bible teaches us that there was many gathered there that day. There was many that was there. When I began to think of lots of people and all of these people, picture this now, the Bible teaches us that all of these people, they was there waiting on Jesus, was waiting on Jesus to get back. He had been on the other side of the sea and now he's come back. Luke 8, 40 says they were all waiting for him. And then it says this, they gladly received him. They gladly received him. As I begin to study and think about this, how they gladly received him, it simply means the attitude of the people. The attitude of the people. I didn't really realize what it meant to have an attitude or the attitude of people, but I find it very interesting. The word attitude in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary means, it means the posture of the people, the position of a person. I didn't realize it, but even the definition gives, you can look at a painting and see the attitude of the painting. Didn't realize that. You can look at a sculpture and you can see the attitude of the sculpture because it has to do with posture and it has to do with position of a person. Uh, the position, that what it indicates in the definition here, it indicates action, it indicates your feeling, and it indicates your mood. It's a very interesting definition when you study about these people that received him, Luke 8:40. They received him gladly as he came and stepped out of the boat and stepped on the shore there. Their attitude, their action, their feeling, and their mood. When they saw Jesus, man, they were so glad that he was there. I mean, just so excited that Jesus was there in their presence. As I began to think about that, I thought, I wonder if we could look across this congregation tonight and we could read the attitude of the people. Could we look at your posture? Could we look at your position? Could we look into your face? Can we see your actions and the mood that you're in? Could we, could we see the attitude of our hearts tonight just as if the painting was drawn? How would we look in that painting? The attitude of all these people. They welcomed Jesus gladly. Their feelings was excitement. Their face, no doubt, was faces of smiles and anticipation and all the great things that they knew that Jesus could do just by him being back in their presence. What an amazing thought as I begin to think about all of these many people that's gathered together here to see Jesus. But not only do we see a great multitude of people, secondly, the Lord dealt with me, next you need to see a very desperate man. A very desperate man. When I begin to study in verse number 22, and behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, this tells you his attitude also, his position, his mood, his feelings. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. 
So there is no doubt when I begin to study this and I, I begin to look at this man by the name of Jarius, and I, I pray I'm pronouncing his, his name right, but I see a very desperate man. And you say, well, why do you think that this man was so desperate? Because of what the Bible tells us who he is and not only who he is, but what he did, what he done in his life. See, Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. He was the, the director of the services. If, if you and I was, was going to go in in Jesus' day in the synagogue, he would be the man who made sure that everything was the way it needed to be. No doubt. He would, he would make sure that the sacrifices was right. He would make sure that everything that was going on with the sacrifices was right. He would make sure that when the people come in, they was doing the right things and acting the right way. He would probably be the one that would turn the lights on or light the candles. And he would be the one that would make sure that everything was taken care of during that ceremony, during the time that people went into the synagogue. But notice this, John 12, 42 says, among the chief rulers, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So what you and I need to understand is when we are studying about this ruler of the synagogue and we understand what's going on here, his daughter is sick and his daughter is about to die. And, and there is no doubt that this man, now listen to this, this man had to forget about how big the crowd was. This man had to forget about what his position was. This man had to forget about what the Pharisees thought. This man had to forget about even losing everything that he had. This man was so desperate in his need to get to Jesus that this man had to say within himself, I don't care if I lose it all. I must get to Jesus. Man, when I began to think about this, I thought this man was in such a desperate place. It's obvious when we study who he is and we study what he does, it's obvious that he needed Jesus. And he was willing to risk it all. You know who he was willing to risk it all for? For his daughter to get some help. Man, when I thought about that, I thought... What an amazing thing that this man said, regardless of what I have, regardless of my name, regardless of my position, my daughter needs help. My daughter is in a bad way. And I could care less how many people is around Jesus. I must get to him. It convicted me. It convicted me. Sometimes in life, things can get so busy, and sometimes in services, the crowds can become large. And instead of doing what I know I need to do for Jesus, whether it be get up and go pray, whether it be testify, whether it be raise my hands, whether it be shout, whether it be go get up in the middle of a service and go to someone. 
It's amazing to me how the crowd, how the multitude, how, how so many people can be around and it can almost hinder you and I from getting to the Lord, from doing what we know that we need to do. And I wonder if the reason why we don't is because we realize that my situation is a little bad. My situation could be worse, but right now it's not, I'm not in a desperate need. So I'll just kind of just go with the flow and kind of just do what everyone else is doing. And I see here that this man was in a desperate need. He was so desperate. He had to get to Jesus. And I also wondered, wonder what this man had saw. Wonder what this man had experienced. I've been doing some reading. I've been reading a new book. I've been trying to understand the scriptures better. And I think about this man in this religious synagogue. I think about all the Old Testament beliefs and all the laws and all the rituals and all the things that this man was a part of. And the Lord reminded me of something that I read this week, and I want to give it to you. I think a lot of times the way we see Jesus is the way we react to a lot of situations. I wrote this down. When we see Jesus as small, when we see Jesus as small, we see our problem is huge. When we see Jesus as small, we see our problem as huge. But when we see Jesus for who he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the mighty God, the everlasting, when we see here for truly who he is, then we know that no matter the problem, Jesus is bigger than all of our problems. And I believe that this man realized, and how did he realize it? Through all of the religion, through all of the ceremonies, through all the rituals. How in the world did this man finally come to the understanding that Jesus is enough and Jesus is big enough? Hmm. Jesus big enough to help one but Jesus also big enough to destroy the walls on a mighty city. It's amazing to me. Think about it now. Moses and Joshua and the judges and the kings was all put in place because Jesus wanted his people to have a deliverer. Think about it now. <laughs> this all points to the need Moses, Joshua, all of the judges, and all of the kings, it all points to a need of a better deliverance. <laughs> the only way we can have a better deliverance is we must have a better deliverer. And I wonder if this, if this ruler of the synagogue, he, he had to know the law. He had to, he had to know all the rituals. And I wonder if in his mind, he finally come to this conclusion. All of these things down through history is not enough. It is not enough to touch and deliver my daughter. I can burn incense. We can do all kinds of sacrifices. We can do all kinds of different things. But if my daughter is really going to get some help, if my daughter is really going to be healed, if my daughter is really going to be delivered from what is going on in her life, then I'm going to have to get to the one man that can truly help her. And his name is Jesus. I think sometimes 
You and I can get caught up in those things if we're not careful. We can get caught up in rituals. We can get caught up in routines. And we can even get caught up in religion. But what we need to realize tonight is this, church. We need to realize that the only one who can truly help us when we are in desperate situations, his name is Jesus. He's the only one that can. This all points to him. Jairus must have seen that and he must have known that. We see his attitude. We see his position. It says in verse number 22 that he fell at his feet. <laughs> he put everything to the side to go to Jesus. And you know, I've always heard this woman, and we're getting ready to look at her in just a minute, and then we'll finish up. But this woman, I've always heard it, and we do it in plays, and we always have it this way, that there's Jesus coming down the aisle, and there's a big crowd of people around him, and then all of a sudden, here comes this woman with this issue of blood, and like I say, we'll see her in just a minute, and she presses her way through the crowd, and then she falls down behind him, and she reaches up, and she touches the hem of his garment. And we see that, and we know that, and we picture that and it's the truth but we got to realize this same man had to do the same thing he had to push through that same crowd he 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 had to humble himself enough to make his way through that crowd push his way through people and get to the feet of Jesus he had to do the same thing that she had to do and I never had even really thought of that before. I just pictured Jesus gets out of the boat. There's a big multitude of people. Jairus comes walking up. He falls down at Jesus' feet, and they have his conversation. But no, he had to push through the same crowd that she did. There's people everywhere around Jesus. Would you be willing to push through everything here tonight? Would you be willing to push through it all just to get to Jesus' feet tonight? Jarius had to push through the same crowd. And then we see his position. You know where he's at? You know what his position is? You know what his attitude is? He's at the feet of Jesus. We're talking about a man, a high-ranking man. He's at the feet of Jesus. But verse number 30, 23 really spoke to me. And besought him greatly. Say, my little daughter, life at the point of death, I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed. And she shall live. I see his pushing. I see his position. But his pleading. When, when you see in verse number 23, it says, besought him greatly. That means to plead. That means to beg. Now, I don't know if you and I really get this picture or not. We're not talking about just some farmer guy. We're not talking about some shepherd. We're talking about a ruler of the synagogue. We are talking about a man who has everything at stake when he goes and falls at the feet of Jesus. And if you understand this scripture the way I think that the Lord helped me to understand it, when he gets there, he's not doing it secretly. He don't come to Jesus by night. He, he, don't, he don't kind of sneak up so that no one sees him. This man presses himself through that crowd. This man's position has now fallen at the feet of Jesus. And now this man is pleading. This man is crying out, Lord, Jesus, come and touch my daughter. She's about to die, Lord. 
And I thought to myself, wow. What an amazing picture of what's taking place in this man's life. Crying out to Jesus. I'm talking crying out, child of God. I mean letting it go. Letting it go. How long has it been since we just cried out to him? Cried out to him. Besought him greatly to beg. And I think one of the greatest verses in all of this text, and it might not hit you the way it hit me, but it's verse number 24. And look what it says. On the count of three, let's read that first part together. Verse 24, one, two, three, you ready? And Jesus went with him. Brother Don, what, what else could you ask for? Are you with me? This man has humbled himself. This man has fallen at the feet of Jesus. This man has cried out to Jesus. And while this man has cried out to Jesus, when this man gets up, Jesus goes with this man. I think if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, I can't speak for you. If I'm not careful, I will take for granted that Jesus has been with me today. He's been with me today. And you know what? He's been with you today. I mean, you think about it. Every step we have taken, Jesus has been with us. And I heard you got saved just recently. What a blessing. What a blessing. Amen. And every since you prayed and asked Jesus to save you, he's been with you, girl. Every step of the way. Do you realize that, child of God? Think about this now. I'm going to get into this last point. Think about it. The very God who created it all has been with you today. <laughs> I know. I heard somebody say, thank you, Lord. How could we not all say, thank you, Lord, for just being with me today? And here he is. I think it's the greatest verse in the whole text. And Jesus went with him. How old was this man's girl? Do you remember? The Bible said she's 12 years old. Man, that's a, that's a short time, you know it? 12-year-old daughter is about to die. Such a short time. Look at verses 25 and 26. A certain woman which had an issue of blood, 12 years. I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I was like, Lord, what's the significance here? What are you trying to show me? And, and I thought to myself, here is, a, here is a man who has went to Jesus, and it's the same story. They're put together. It's the same crowd. They're walking with Jesus. This, this ruler of the synagogue has met Jesus as soon as he got off the boat. And now they're walking along in this crowd. And then now, here, not just a desperate man is walking with Jesus and all this crowd. But then here walks up a hopeless woman. This woman is hopeless. And, and, and the daughter's 12 years old. And the woman who has this issue of blood, it's been going on now for 12 years. And I prayed 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 about that. And this was the only thing that came to my mind. 
12 years for that little girl is a short period of time just to be alive. Just 12 years. But 12 years to have this issue of blood is a very long time. Would you agree with that? I mean, 12 years, man. 12 years in life is such a short period of time, but 12 years to be sick is a very long time. What is the big deal of this sickness of this woman? I mean, really, what is the big deal? Let me read to you Leviticus 15, verse number 25. And if a woman have an issue of her blood many days out of the time of her separation, or if it run beyond the time of that, all the days of her issue of her uncleanness shall be the days of her separation. She shall be unclean. Every bed whereon she lieth, the days of her issue, that bed, that separation whatsoever she sitteth upon, it's unclean as the uncleanness of her separation. It goes on and, and, and talks about the man being around her if she has this issue. What you and I need to realize is according to Leviticus 15, pretty much that whole chapter, this woman could not be around anyone. It was just as if this woman had leprosy. And in Bible days, this issue of blood that had been going on for 12 years... Anything she sat on was unclean. Everything that she wore was unclean. Her husband could not be around her. Kids could not be around her. Other women could not be around her. She was forbidden to go into the synagogue and worship. I'm telling you, this woman was in a bad place. This woman was in a hopeless condition. You say, what makes it so hopeless? This woman had spent everything that she had on physicians, and the Bible says she was not getting any better, but the Bible says she was getting worse. I can't imagine. I can't imagine going through life and standing way up on the hill and hollering, saying, Tina, I know I can't come down there where you're at, but I just want to let you know I love you. The kids going by and say, where's mom? I say, well, she's down here. She's been down there for 12 years. 12 years, Jeremy. 12 years. Everything that she could do, and she was not getting any help from anywhere or from anyone. This woman was hopeless. I wrote down she's totally cut off. You know what she did? She did the same thing this man did. In verse number 27, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. You know what she did? She pressed through the crowd as well. She said, I'm not, I'm not I can't stay back here any longer. I can't keep myself back here any longer. I must get to Jesus. I have to get to him. He is the only one. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch his clothes. So she pressed through the crowd in verse 27. But we also see her position. In verse number 27, she did it from behind him. And then in verse number 33, then she fell down before him. And I thought to myself... What's going on with this woman, Lord? And this is the way the Lord dealt with me about it. You can preach it however God deals with you about it. 
What's going on with this woman in her life is personal. This is a personal thing. It's personal. This is, this is something that's going on inside of her body. And this is not something that, that if she could come into the synagogue, this is not something that she would stand up and say, I need everyone in here to pray for me. I've got this issue of blood that's been going on now for 12 years. She could not ever say anything about it because if she did, everyone would say, you're unclean, get out of here. We can't be back in this place for seven days now. And if you touched her, you're unclean. I'm telling you, what was going on in this lady's life was personal. And there's things that are going on in some of your lives. You know what it is? It's personal. And there's some things that you tell, but there's some things you cannot tell. Because there's things that are going on in people's lives that are very personal. I have people say sometimes, Pastor, you say a lot from the pulpit. I don't tell you everything from the pulpit. Because there's some things in my life and there's some things in my past. Brother Jeff, it's personal. There ain't no way God would want me to share that. Are you with me? This, this lady, she's, she's dealing with something in her. You've you got to see this, child of God. She is dealing with this in her. This is in her. This is... This is going on in her life. It's personal. She's, she presses through that same crowd and she, she goes in from behind him, touches his clothes. It's secret. And it's a problem. She really shouldn't even have been there. But she had to. She had to go. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. It's amazing to me. The plague is gone. The personal problem has now been taken care of. (laughs) Verse 34 says, her faith has made thee whole. Verse number 36 says, (laughs) be not afraid, only believe. In verse number 34, he speaks and he says, go in peace. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine Here is an issue with the ruler of the synagogue. His daughter's about to die. They get news that she's dead. They go. Jesus does an amazing thing there. But then here is a woman. It's personal. It's in her. She don't want other women to know. She don't want everyone to know. But Jesus knows. He knows. You ever had things that you deal with in life and you even say this to yourself, that's that's just too much for me to share. I can't, I can't share that. Well, Jesus knows. Please hear that tonight. Jesus knows and he cares. Are you with me? He knows and he cares. 
And then lastly, here's the attitude that we must battle. Verse number 36 says this, be not afraid. You know what we have to battle with when we're dealing with things in our life? Fear. We, we have to battle with fear. Fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of what's coming. Fear of what they might say. I mean, we've all had to deal with fear. And, and, and that fear, it becomes an attitude. It was like, it's like if, you, if, you, if someone painted a portrait of you or they built a sculpture of you, your body language, your mood, your face, your actions, the way you carry yourself, they would paint a picture. And if we put it up on the screen and we said, what does that picture portray? It would say, fear. That, that fear. And man, I've been there. And you have too. And, and, and he says right here, he, he speaks of that. He says, be not afraid, only believe. You know what else we have to battle? Look at verse number 38. And he cometh to the house, to the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult. And then that weep and wail greatly. Not only do we have to battle fear, but we have to battle that turmoil, that trouble, that uproar, that crying. Man, I'm telling you, sometimes life feels like you're inside of a dryer. Sometimes life just tumbles and tumbles and tumbles and tumbles. And the next thing you know, your life is full of turmoil. I mean, it's just like a tornado is going off in your soul. We've we got to battle that when things is going on in our lives. We've got to battle that. You ever feel like your life is just turmoil? You ever feel like your life is a storm? You ever feel like your life is just crazy? It's got to be a battle, child of God. And, and I see what's going on here in this text. He, he tells them, he says, he says, don't fear. He said, believe. And when he gets there and all these people, these professional whalers or whoever they are, they're all in turmoil and they're troubled and they're crying. And then verse 39 and 40, look what it says. When he's come in, he says to them, well, I'll make you this all... I do and weep. The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn. When he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother. You know what, you know what we got to deal with when we're going through things in life? Unbelief and doubt. Unbelief and doubt. And that's exactly what we see right here in this text. Unbelief and doubt. Doubt. Unbelief. Doubt. Have you ever worried over things that hadn't even happened yet? <laughs> Have you ever worked yourself up in your own mind, turmoil, fear, and doubt, and trouble, and work yourself into tears, Mom? Can I tell something that happened with you and, and me taking you to the doctor? Would that embarrass you if I told that? You sure? Yeah. All right. My mom, you know, she's dealt with this cancer. And uh, we, we went to the doctor, and I would go, and Tina would tell me, you better go so that your mama hears everything the way she's supposed to hear it. So I was like, Mom, I'm going to go with you, and I want to listen to what the doctor says. Well, there was one day I didn't get to go with her, and she went to the doctor, and she called me. Is it all right if I tell this? 
So mama calls me and she says, got some bad news today, son. I said, what's the bad news, mom? So the doctor said, I've got these lymph nodes in my body. And I could get some lymph nodes in my brain. And if I get lymph nodes in my brain, I'm going to have brain cancer. I was like, Mom, I don't think he said lymph nodes in your brain. She said, no, 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 son, that's what he told me. I said, okay, Mom. I said, but you know you got lymph nodes all over your body. She goes, yeah, but they're going to go to my brain. And I said, Mama, don't worry about it. I said, the Lord's touched you. You got a good report, and we're getting ready to go get a scan. So I went and picked my mom up that morning. And isn't this natural? Isn't this a normal thing? I went and picked her up that morning. And when I walked in, she was crying. I said, Mom, what's going on with you? She said, Son, I've been worrying all night. I said, What's wrong with you? She said, I got brain cancer. I said, Mom, Mama, we're getting ready to go get a scan. It's going to be okay. She said, No, son, I got brain cancer. And she said, If I have brain cancer, just go ahead and just put me in a home and just forget. I said, Mama, stop. You ever been there? You know what I'm saying? Things is going wrong. Things is bad. There's fear. There's turmoil. There's, there's anxiety. There's tears. And, and that's where she was at that morning when I went and picked her up. It is real. And unbelief, you know, unbelief and doubt. And that's exactly what all this text is saying, too. All, all of these things is in our text. And uh, so I took her for a scan, and she come out. And I said, Mom, you got your scan? She said, yeah. She said, they checked me from my neck to my feet. I said, so they checked you from your neck to your feet? She said, yes. I said, and I got some good news. She said, what? I said, they didn't check your brain. She said, well, son... Son, I said, Mom, your brain's above your neck. <laughs> and we laughed just like we're laughing right now. And she said, let's go to Cracker Barrel. <laughs> I said, Mom, they didn't, they didn't check your brain. I said, that's good. So we went to Cracker Barrel. And it wasn't but a day or two later, I got a call on my phone. And they said this. All your scans come back clear. All your scans come back clear. Not only God knows what's going to come up next year, and only God knows what's going to come up next month. Do you agree with that? But isn't it amazing how fear, doubt, unbelief, turmoil, and worry, and crying can completely overtake us Right in the midst. Now, here's what's crazy. Right in the midst of Jesus doing a work. Right in the middle of Jesus doing a work, all of those attitudes come into play when Jesus went into those people's houses. Fear's a real thing. Anxiety is real. Doubt is real. Lord, I believe... Help my what? Lord, I believe. 
But Lord, would you help my unbelief? Because sometimes when things smack us right in the face, the very best of a believer will say, God, is this really going to work out? Because I just don't think it can. But God is able. God is able. We see a desperate man. We see a woman. She was hopeless. 